Good morning. Good morning. Whether you're joining us over the live stream or here in person, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Oh, we... wait, 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 am I late? Oh! <laughs> no, you're, you're on time. Ladies Reverend, and gentlemen, yeah. Reverend John Alou. <laughs> That's okay, I forgot where I was. <laughs> we are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson. I'm one of the co-lead ministers here at the church, along with Reverend John Alou. Good morning. I'm Reverend Aaron Walter. I am also one of the co-interim ministers. And if you are joining us for the first time as a visitor, um, John Alou came in late because John Alou is coming in a little bit late, but right <laughs> on time. Right on time. Right on time. The spirit moves in different ways, and we are open to that here in this church. And so what's going on here is we finally have a full house of our ministry team, right? And we're so excited about that. Yay. <laughs> is there more you want to say or you want me to welcome the visitors? <laughs> welcome them. <laughs> All right. We're learning how to do things as a team, and it's really fun to experiment. And today we're going to be asking some questions. We're going to be leaning into the theme of the month, which is courage. And so for folks who are visiting, we want to encourage you to um, fill out the visitor card, to talk to folks at the visitor table, to stay and hang out with us at coffee time, and for everybody just to um, have conversation and get to know each other. We are so, so glad that you're here. And online, we hope you'll introduce yourself in the comments. Now, I was thinking about your arrival as an example of greeting the holy in our midst. In this church, we see each other as a spark of the divine. And so I invite you, Chris and I, and all of us invite you to greet each other, the holy in our midst. I invite you to join me in saying the words for lighting the chalice as Peter lights it. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Why does a layperson light the chalice and take part in the service? I'm not sure, uh, but I'm guessing. Uh, I'm guessing that it's an opportunity for uh, the congregation to participate even more in the service, feel more a part of the spiritual community. And also, um, it, it's fun. This congregation has a set of religious values, transcendence, courage, compassion, community, and transformation. And out of those values arose our mission. It's our common purpose. It guides all of our decision-making. It guides our programs and ministries. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday so that we might more readily carry it in our hearts throughout the week. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community.
Put your hands on the wheel. Let the golden age Treacherous road with the desolated view. There's distant lights, but here they're far and few. Sun don't shine even when it's day. Got to drive on.
This is our time for beloved community. And when we talk about beloved community, what we mean is making a space in this church and in the world where everyone feels like they can bring their full selves and their full spirit. And so I'd like to read a little bit to you. Adyanta Shanti, a contemporary North American Buddhist, wrote in Emptiness Dancing that there is a saying in Zen, when the realization is deep, your whole body is dancing. This is one of my favorite books, Dance, the Sacred Art, the Joy of Movement as a Spiritual Practice by Cynthia Winton Henry. And yes, I am going to invite you to dance with me today, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about it first. So in some faith traditions, it was considered sinful to dance. So it's an act of liberation for us to dance together in church. In many cultures, dance is the predominant way that people seek to connect with the holy. So when we dance in church here, we make room and welcome people for whom that is their natural state of spirit. And then for those of us for whom quietness is the way we connect and stillness, this is an opportunity to strengthen your muscle for courage and your muscle for feeling other people's joy and basking in other people's joy and letting even just a little bit of it come into you. And so a quote from this book, at times the movement of the sacred is so interior, we feel it only in hidden places within. Yet our body wisdom sometimes longs to reach beyond our ordinary self, to reunite with the mystery. Our arms lift and our head is thrown back in a full consent to the dance of life. So the song I'm going to invite you to dance with me today, if you are willing, and it is just an invitation, is the song that some of you danced with me at my ordination five years ago this month. We had a processional where we danced into the sanctuary. It's by Alvaro Soler and Jennifer Lopez. I want to start by inviting the kids to come forward, because from here we're going to go into our time for all ages, and then you'll be right up here. And, and then I'm going to invite people who are comfortable with dance to come forward. We'll see. Do we have any people? A couple of our senior lunch people danced with me on Zumba yesterday. And, it, and you don't? I know. And anybody who's feeling brave this morning? Anybody who's feeling musical, choir? I need some people up here with me. Thank you, Chris. Come on, you can do it. I believe in you, Mom. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Okay, now don't let my mom dance with me alone. Thank you, choir. All right. Now, kids, come on up. You can do it. And so I'm going to suggest moves. They're not hard. You can also do them in your seat. But I really would love for you to come up. You can be here. You can be in the aisles. You can be in the back. However you want to be. Thank you, Oki. Thank you to those who are coming up. Okay. And then if you're in your seat, it's okay. You can stand in your seat and just feel what it feels to rise in your seat. Or you can stay and you can do this. People do my dance class with um, in their seats too, and it's fine. You're perfect. Okay. All you have to do is face me, and then you can do the moves I'm doing, or you can do your own dance. But I really do invite you to rise if you feel like you can rise, even if it's just to sway a little bit. But that's okay. Everybody is perfect exactly as they are. Thank you.
mismo sol. No shade, no hits in the night in every nation. We're all under the same sun y bajo el mismo sol. Thank you. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, we follow our breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom place where we find wells of courage, the place where that spark of the divine resides within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and other human sounds are a part of that silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out, we enter into that time of sacred silence together.
I invite you now to light candles, candles of joy, sorrow, remembrance, hope. But I do want to better understand what are these, what is this candle lighting about and who gets to light candles? Thank you for that question. <laughs> we have a tradition within Unitarian Universalism that we don't need a mediator to bring what is on our hearts, whether it is a heavy sorrow or an uplifting joy, to that which is greater than ourselves, however each of us defines that. And in fact, in many small churches, we do that together. That which is greater than ourselves is often a part of that, at least, is our religious community. And so in smaller churches, there's often, at this time, people come up to a microphone and they talk about their joy or their sorrow. And there's a ritual that goes with it, which could be dropping stones into water or lighting a candle. Well, we have grown so large that the entire service would be that if we tried to do that here. And so we light candles together in our windows here at the church for those in person and either a virtual candle or a candle wherever we are if we're watching online to share those joys and sorrows with that which is greater than ourselves. So I invite you now to come up and light a candle if you're here in person or to do so at home. You may use either candle window today.
Today's reading is from The History, Philosophy, and Impact of Interim Ministry by Margaret Kipe, a retired UU minister with extensive interim experience, especially on the West Coast. Let's step back a moment for a broader picture of our faith endeavor. Consider religions as offering frameworks that render life coherent and assure us that we belong to the human family, to the earth, to all that is, however we name it. A religion that fits us helps us know we are at home in the universe. Religion seeks a cosmic view. It's a whole-picture enterprise. Thus, a religious community touches every aspect of our lives. It invites us to come together to grow more holy, more fully human, to become more truly who we are, to encounter the meaning of being alive. Religious leadership promotes this wholeness of being, knowing that whole, holy, heal, and healthy are part of the same word family, sheds warm light on our shared endeavors. Historically, Jewish and Christian clergy were sometimes the only learned and literate people in their town. They preached and taught scripture as the ultimate source of truth. They kept official records of births and deaths and presided over these vital events. It was both a lofty and solitary role. And life continued to happen. Curiosity and yearning is inherently human and irrepressible. Questions sought answers and yielded more questions, and the meteoric expansion of knowledge rendered singular authority obsolete. The more there was to know, the less of it could be mastered by one individual. Knowledge and skills diversified. Specialization became essential. Human community grew encyclopedic. Echoes of archaic authority linger when reverend is attached to our names, but the role of ordained clergy is to share and shepherd this diversity. Ministry cannot be an individual responsibility when understood as nurturing and caring for the spirit in partnership with creation. So, ministry cannot be an individual enterprise. And uh, it's an enterprise in which we engage the entire congregation, but we're really in this new team kind of thing doing something a little bit different from individual ministry. Um, And it, it does bring us to that question of what you know what are we what are we doing here what, what are we doing in church what are we doing with worship what's this about so we have a wealth of research now that tells us that we as human beings are hardwired to have this desire to feel a part of something larger than ourselves however we might define that, and in fact that we need that feeling in order to self-actualize, to fully become who we're meant to be and find a feeling of right place. And we know that we're hardwired to need connection 
and community and belonging. So we, we hear this term spiritual but not religious, which I think I would have classified myself as at one time. And I do think our individual spiritual practices ground us. They're vital for helping us feel connected to the web of all existence. And I think what church does is bring in that connection and belonging and community because I think it's only through relationship that we fully reach for our true spiritual potential. We we can't do it alone on the mountaintop forever. And, And I find it so interesting that our mission says, together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community because I think part of our own nourishing our souls and own transforming our lives has to do with making it possible through building beloved community for other people to nourish their souls and transform their own lives. And so I want to finish by talking about the reason that I think we want to support and be a part of this particular church. My friend, Reverend Lissa Jenkins, at a meeting that we had around legacy giving a while back, told us the story of several decades ago when several women at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Dallas ended up funding what became Roe v. Wade. And she told us that she was telling us that story to show us what a determined group of Unitarian Universalists can do. And she went on to talk about the special opportunity and the unique obligation this church here in Austin has being in the state capitol. Because the New York Times recently had an article that said, as goes Texas, goes the rest of the country. If Texas were its own nation, it would have the ninth largest economy in the world. We have a huge number of electoral votes and congressional representatives. So, for instance, if we join in solidarity with the people most effective and begin to tear down structures of racism and oppression in Texas, that's going to radiate throughout the country. Another example, if we are a leading voice and expand that voice for bodily autonomy, whether it has to do with women's reproductive freedom or trans rights and those who love them that are being so trampled upon in Texas for the LGBTQ community in general and really for all of us. If we win bodily autonomy in Texas, we win it in the country as a whole. Environmental justice, protecting our one precious planet. Again, we have some great leaders here in the church, and if we expand those efforts and we change the policy here in Texas, we're going to change it across the country. And finally, one more example, our UU the vote, registering voters, getting those voters to go vote. Those voters one day are going to go vote to quit putting immigrants on buses and sending them out of Texas, and instead take those policies like that and the horrible policies on all those other issues I was talking about and ship those out of Austin and those out of Texas and throw them on the environmentally friendly trash heap of history. And my beloveds, if we do that, I believe, I truly believe it will nourish our own souls and transform our own lives. Well, Aaron? (laughs) Aaron, have you got anything to say? I want to say again how grateful I am to be a part of this team and how glad that we're, I am that we're all here together. And you've already been to my church today, which is the Church of Dance. Um, and I want to say a little bit about that. Um, when you ask, you know, what are we doing here? And, and I tried to answer that question of why do we have a moment of beloved community by talking about 
why I think it's important that we stretch ourselves in church. I consider um, church kind of a lab for how we might be in the world. And so if we can take time here to both, many of you know my title is Minister for Joy and Justice, to both connect with the things that bring us joy that we need to thrive in our own lives and strengthen our commitment. As Chris was talking about to justice, we also have to strengthen our abilities to be uncomfortable and to try new things. Um, And so one of the things that came up in coffee hour recently, someone, I, I referred to how much I love being in worship with all of you. And growing up here in this church, we didn't call it worship. Um, We said we were going to Sunday service, and I think many of us still call it that, and sometimes I do too. Um, But my mentor in ministry um, helped me come uh, to a new place with that word, um, which is that worship refers to lifting up what is of worth. And, and that is the origin of that word. And I loved in the reading, Peter, that it talked about how clergy aren't the only ones who are educated and learned it anymore. And I was like, well, ain't that the truth? <laughs> um, so we have plenty of people who love words in this congregation, as I do. And so I was heartened to learn that the word worship refers to um, lifting up what is of worth. And so I feel like we are here because we have inherent worth and dignity, every one of us. We are all connected. Those are pillars of our faith. And I feel that worth, getting to be with you and getting to lift up the different ways that we are part of the holy. And I just, you know, I, I would add one thing. Um, we have been through some rough times in the last few years. This congregation has. But this culture has, this country has, we are still in some rough times. If ever there was a time when we needed one another, now is the time. We need one another. None of us can do this alone. None of us can do this alone. And Unitarian Universalism at times has been a strong advocate for individualism. And I think we're in a time when we're realizing some profound truths about the human condition that's shifting the theological grounding of Unitarian Universalism. And it's shifting it from a very strongly individualistic orientation to recognizing this need for community and this need for expanding community until it can be all-inclusive. And I think that's what we're trying to do in worship, and I think that's what we're trying to do in church. And part of that is consoling and supporting one another. Part of that is encouraging and strengthening one another. Part of it is pushing one another to do things that you might not otherwise do. Um, I, you know, it was, it was people in a congregation that called me to ministry who came forward and said, you know what, you could do that. And I was like, what? <laughs> but I think church often calls us to do hard things that we didn't know we could do. So I want to branch into just one more question, which is what do, what do each of us, what does each of us bring to this, to this ministry and to this congregation in this time? Do you want to answer first for yourself or do you want us to answer? 
I would like to hear your answers. <laughs> what do I bring to this time? Well, I've told you before um, that I answered this call because someone I care about asked me to, and that's Reverend Chris right here. And then I came to get to know the search and the uh, search team and the board. Um, and so I, I bring with me a, a deep love of this congregation and a sense of call um, and history with this church. And I bring with me a memory of what it was like. So I am not a lifelong dancer. My two earliest memories of dance are of wanting to quit that ballet class at the place over by House Park um, when I was a small child, and of going to a seventh grade dance and dancing and then the next, and feeling, having so much fun, and then the next day having someone come up to me at my locker and point and laugh at me and say, you thought you could dance. And so I came to dance as a new mom, invited by community at the YMCA, um, and so one of the things I bring to this church is a memory of being, do you know the phrase, the frozen chosen? So I grew up in a, in a Unitarian Universalism where I had never had a female minister. We did not move. We did not dance. I did not holler amen. Um, and I have grown in my sense of spirit and, and dance is now my spiritual practice. So I, I bring to this a place of, of wanting to be alongside you as you ask yourself, where might I be called to grow? And where might I be called to bring myself into community? Um, don't let any of this fool you. I get very nervous to ask people to sing and dance with me. So I also uh, bring gratitude that you're willing. That's a piece of it. Go ahead. <laughs> I try to keep this theological image of a river of love that flows through our universe and try to channel that river into everything that I do as a minister. And that's easier to remember, I think, when it's a pastoral conversation than when it's the budget meeting or when I'm out doing social justice and I'm really angry about something, although I have to remind myself that anger on behalf of others for social justice can be a part of love. Um, and I'm sure that I don't always get there, but it's one of the ways that I consistently evaluate my ministry is how often am I channeling that river of love. And I think when I'm at my very best, I come to ministry with a wide open, vulnerable heart. And I hope that encourages everyone to come at the world with a wide open, vulnerable heart, because that is in fact how we define courage in this congregation, and I think that gives us the best chance to make real differences in our own lives and in other people's lives. I think one other thing that I bring is I come out of the nonprofit world where it's understood that organizational values and mission are key not only to the success of that nonprofit, but for making sure that it continues to stay focused on the people whose lives it's intended to make real differences in. And I think in a church, that becomes even more important because, as we've talked about, this is where we try to become our best selves, and we go out into the world, and we try to help other people become their best selves. So that set of tools for helping us stay focused on our values and mission, I think, helps us. Well, here's what it is. Our values and our mission are our guideposts for how we bring that river of love into our world and make real differences in our own lives and in other people's lives. Wow. Okay. I've got this still. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I forget. So um, 
I'm going to be fairly quick with it. I could trace through my career and how it's brought me to this place, the different, differing little things that come from different parts of my ministerial career of, of 29, 28 years, 29 years, something like that. But I think the most important thing I'm bringing right now is curiosity, is holy curiosity. Because they've given, the board gave me the title of uh, minister for reflection and discovery. And the way that we do that is that we probe. We ask questions. And sometimes those questions are uncomfortable. But they're always important because what we're about really is making meaning out of our lives. And the only way that we do that is by asking ourselves questions and sometimes having to explain things that we thought we knew. We have new insights and new opportunities to move in new directions. And that's really important in these times when we don't really know exactly what the future is. We don't know exactly what the future is for our country. We don't know exactly what the future is for church in the larger landscape. We don't know exactly what the future is for any of us. But this is our opportunity to explore. Please join me in the words to extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.